Good morning, everybody. Good to see you, and I'm glad you're here. Um, I want to uh, just recognize a couple of folks, and I think Miss Juanita Southern is back with us. Juanita, are you here? Yes, there you are. It's so good to have Juanita back with us. Yes, it's great, and uh, we're really glad you're here, and um, well, uh, we, we've missed you, and we love you. We're just glad you're here. Also, I want to introduce the church, uh, someone new in, in our church and special to the ministry of this church is our new New Life Coordinator, Director, our Daycare Director, Miss Nicole Barnett is here. Nicole, would you stand up, please? And and she's here with her mom, and they're with us today. Make sure you speak to Nicole. We're so blessed to have her here with us, and uh, she just started a couple of weeks ago doing a great job. We have a great ministry in our New Life Center every day, and uh, I hope I hope we'll see a lot of her here, and uh, you'll be hearing from her and seeing the things that she does. Be sure you speak to her and to Juanita today, as um, and and to her mom too. We're glad your mom is here. It's good to have you both. Uh, I, I want to talk this morning to you. Uh, the 30th message in the book of John. We're almost through with chapter seven, so you can see where we're going, and uh, it's going to take us a little while, but that's okay. Uh, I will tell you, uh, this, this passage has not been easy for me. Uh, it may not be easy for you. I would imagine even the most diligent of you probably have not heard many sermons on this passage. It's one that we easily skip over because it's hard. And in fact, Jesus said, this teaching is hard, or the Bible says this is hard stuff. It's hard, but it's really important. And before we read it, I want to share just a little bit about why it's so important. Jesus' ministry had been very popular to this point. It There had been a lot of energy, a lot of excitement, a lot of people around him. There had been success, been great miracles. He turned water into wine. He fed 5,000 people on at least two occasions in the Gospels. He would healed people. He would made a real impact. But his teaching had been black and white. It had been tough. It had been right to the point. In fact, if you read uh, in the passage before us, Jesus knew that there were folks that really wondered about it. So he made it hard for them. He didn't make it easy. He said, truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you'll not have life in yourselves. Now, Jesus is not telling us that we're all going to be cannibals. But he's saying that you got to plunge in a relationship with him with all you got. There's no leaving anything behind. There'd be no middle ground for followers. Well, a lot of people like the miracles. They like the healing. They like getting stuff. They got the best wine in the wedding. They loved all that. But now folks started falling away. And there's really three groups that we see today. You know, The Bible talks about that, and I think it's important that we understand. They ought to teach us preachers this first and foremost, that not everybody you talk to is going to accept the gospel. Not everybody that comes to your church is going to stay. And yes, sometimes we preachers got to know, sometimes they don't stay because they don't like us. (laughs) And sometimes they don't stay because they don't like what they hear. Or sometimes they don't stay because they don't feel welcome. That's something we can do something about. But Jesus said, there's three kinds of people. He compared over in Matthew 13, he said, there's three kinds of people that we have 
that hear the gospel. And it's like a farmer who sows a field. And he says the first kind of field in the parable of the sower, he said the first kind of folks are people that just outright reject it. They're just hard-hearted. They're not going to hear it. That happens. You, you know, if I planted seed and threw it out here on this carpet or on the platform on this wood, it wouldn't grow. I could water it. I could tend to it. I could put sunlight on it. It's not going anywhere. Jesus said, there are some people that are going to hear the word and there's not anything you can do. They're just going to reject it. Because God gives us a choice to accept him or reject him. And so that's discouraging sometimes. That's discouraging when we have people that just won't listen to it, won't hear it. They won't do it. So there, that's the first kind. Then, then he says, and in the parable of the sower, there's really two groups he talks about here. There are some that, you know, it kind of falls on rocky soil or sometimes the birds eat the, eat the, um, Eat the seed up. Uh, they, it starts to plant. It starts to grow. It takes off. They have a lot of energy. They get excited. A lot of emotion. But then they fall away. They, they don't have staying power. They've been attracted by something. But they just don't stay. Jesus said there's that group. And then he said there's a third group. And this is a small group. I, I wish, AJ, Jacob, I wish this was the big group. I wish this was most of the people. But Jesus said, it'd be a narrow road for the people that follow him. That a lot of people would fall away for whatever reason. Now, this is the son of man. I mean, I'm, I'm not the best preacher in the world, but I will tell you that uh, I'm, I'm appreciative of the fact that Jesus had people that heard his sermons and walked away and rejected them. Because I know when people walk away and reject my sermons or my preaching or my ministry, that I'm no better than the master. But there are some, a small group. In fact, Luke, I like the way Luke, uh, Jesus describes him in Luke. He, he says, uh, don't be afraid, little flock, because the kingdom, the father delights to give you, the little flock, the kingdom of God. So Jesus said there would be a little group that would accept the message with true faith. And they would persevere, and they would weather the storm, and they would be there to the end. But there are three groups. That's a hard, difficult fact of ministry. It's something that you got to learn as Christians, as a church. Boy, I tell you, preacher, we have to learn that. That's something we learn. We we learn that early on. But you got to learn it too. And so this passage in John is about that. We see all three of these groups. The first group, the hard-hearted people that just rejected outright, well, they're already gone. What's left in this passage are the next two groups. The ones that follow along for the show and kind of are interested and like what's going on. And the ones that are going to really stay and be there till the end. We have all of those. We have those two groups. So I want to read the passage to you and then we'll talk about it briefly. John chapter 6, verse 60 through 71. Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, that is the teaching that was up above in chapter 6, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were complaining about this, asked him, 
Does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh, the flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and the ones who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted to him by the Father. From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. So Jesus said to the twelve, that's the first time in the Bible, by the way, they're called the twelve. You don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter, always the spokesman of the group, said, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you're the Holy One of God. And Jesus replied to them, Didn't I choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He was referencing to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, one of the twelve, because he was going to betray him. A message of division. Those that will follow him and those that won't. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. And though it's hard word, it is uncomforting to us. It is vital to know. Lord, help us to accept you and know who you are. To love you and follow you as you've directed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's only two points. And that took me all that to get here. I only have two points in this sermon. There are those, the reaction of those who fall away. And that covers a lot of this passage, verses 60 through 66. The teaching is hard. Jesus was demanding commitment from them. He was demanding that they do something, that they get involved. They couldn't just watch a miracle and follow him. They couldn't just show up and listen to the sermon and walk out and live their life. He was saying that if you follow me, there is commitment, there is sacrifice. You got to put skin in the game. It's hard stuff. I want to tell you, church, if you read the Bible and you think that it's easy, you miss the point. You miss the point. Because following Jesus is not easy. It never has been. It wasn't in that day. It wasn't in the centuries as the church grew. It's not today. It is not easy. The Bible says that the word of God is divisive. It's like a two-edged sword. It divides us. There are people that agree with it. There are people that don't. There are people that like it. There are people that don't. It's not easy stuff. It's hard. That's true. And it's hard. Who can accept it? Jesus knew the disciples were complaining. Now, he's talking about all the disciples. There, There's the group that's not going to believe is already left. They're gone. There are left two groups. They call them disciples, followers. The, there were 12 close followers, and then there was a larger group of people. This larger group began weathering away. They were hearing this, seeing this, and they were thinking, oh, this this guy is not going to be the king we thought he was going to be. He's not going to come in here and solve all our problems. He's not going to give us all the money that we need. He's not going to solve. He wants something from us. And so they're beginning to fall away too. So Jesus is recognizing that. He knew in himself that they were complaining he, he knew they were, they were beginning to talk. There were, there were questions, even though he had done all these great things, there were people that were not liking what they heard. 
Jesus, we like it when you turn the water to wine, but we don't want you to tell us that we gotta, we've gotta take you in like we're just eating your body or drinking your blood. We, that's, that's disgusting. Nobody wants to follow anybody like that. It was hard. It was hard. So Jesus said to them right up front, does, does this offend you? Are you guys offended by that? Uh, Then he says, what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was? And Jesus is saying, some of you guys wouldn't believe this stuff if you saw the Son of Man, that's himself, ascending into heaven. Of course, he would do that in a a few years. In a year or so, he would ascend to heaven. (laughs) And of course, they... They wouldn't like the cross, or they wouldn't like the message of the cross, or they wouldn't like the offense of the cross. That's not the way a king should be treated. So a lot of disciples were dissatisfied. And then he says here, this is all a matter of God working in your life. The spirit is the one who gives life, he says. He he was spirit. The flesh doesn't help you at all. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But, but there are some people that just don't hear the spirit. You know, we have folks in church that don't hear the Spirit. I mean, a lot of folks say, well, you know, that was a good sermon or a bad sermon. I've, some of the, some of the best preachers that I ever hear, I may hear one or two things that I take away. I, I might, I might leave out of there and, 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 and God does something entirely different when the preacher says, I'm, I'm always amazed that a lot of you will come up to me and say, you know something you said last week? It really resonated with me. And they'll say it. And I thought, I don't, I don't hardly remember saying that. <laughs> I guess we said that. Yeah. Okay. And see, that's the spirit saying to you something that's really important. It doesn't matter what I do. I'm not the, I'm not the, I'm not the central figure here. Christ, the Spirit is the central figure. The Word is spoken through me to you and empowered by the Spirit. God will speak to you in a thousand ways. And Jesus said, some of you guys are sitting out there and all you do is you hear the flesh. You just hear what I say. It was well done, well said, clumsy, awkward, not clear. Some of you can take the worst sermon and God will speak to you in it. And you'll say, wow. You know, uh, I never forget Jim Cimbala, and he would he described this the best. And Jim Cimbala, pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York, and he said that he grew up in the old tent meetings. And he said in the old tent meetings, we would go to one revival service after another. Can you imagine that? Go to church all day long from 9 in the morning till 10 or 11 at night. And said when you were walking back to your cabin at night, he said, the really good preachers, uh, he said, sometimes they would say, oh, that preacher so-and-so He's really good. And we'd know that wasn't quite it. Because we didn't hear God, but we heard the speaker. And then he said, but we knew we'd really worshiped when somebody came back and said, Oh me, I don't even know who preached, but what a wonderful God we serve. That's the spirit. That's what Jesus is saying. Because he'll speak through all of us, the best and the worst of us. He'll speak through his word, something personal to you. But there were people that weren't hearing any of that. They were just hearing the words. And Jesus said, this is why I told you nobody can come to me unless it's granted to him by the Father. You know, this is one I have a hard time with. And I don't know about you. You might, you might hear this and say, oh, well, I'm, I'm good with that. Are, are you really good with that? Um, nobody can come to him unless it's granted to him by the Father. In other words, nobody's going to come to Christ unless the Father leads them. In other words, God's got to do the work in you before you make a decision. But yet, I, I want you to fully understand what Jesus is saying. 
that the Spirit does a work in us. It leads us. It makes us decide. But you and I decide. We choose. To us, it's a choice. God in his sovereignty knows our answer. But he gives us the freedom to make a choice. And I don't want you to ever forget that. I don't want anybody here to think today, well, you know, I'm just an old nasty sinner and God would never save a guy like me. But the Bible says in the most wonderful phrase in the whole Bible, and I want to read it to you so I don't miss any word, for God so loved the world in this way. This is how much he loved the world. He gave his only one and only son. So listen, church. So that every one who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You see, there's the choice. That's the choice you and I have. But there, there were people that rejected him. They heard that. They walked away. They were done. It wasn't attractive to them. It was painful. It was, it was difficult. And so the Bible says, from that moment, many of them walked away. They turned back and didn't come back. There are some people that just don't believe. If we go over to the first John, and we're going to do a study of that when we go to Gettysburg, we're going to look at first John. But, but first John teaches us the people that stay. And I'm not going to read it all to you. I'm just going to tell you. And you can trust me. I'm going to give you some verses and you can go and look at them yourself. Here's what true disciples are. This is, this is what a true disciple, a true follower, a person that stays with Jesus, here's his characteristics. In 1 John chapter 2 verse 3, true disciples obey Jesus. They're obedient to him. They hear the word, they obey it. Now, I'm kind of, I'm disqualified there because I don't always obey it. But I struggle with it and I come back and I obey it and some days I do better than other days. But true disciples in the course of their life will struggle to obey the word of God. We're not perfect, but they will do it. True disciples remain in Jesus. In other words, they stay the course. First John chapter two, verse 24. They last. True disciples. You may fall away. You may sin. You may struggle, but you always come back. You know, people always say to me, and one of the big questions is, this person left. They, they were a believer when they were a little guy. They got up into college. They, they, they went away and they never came back. Are they a Christian or not? That's not for me to decide. But the Bible says true believers always come back to their faith. That's a characteristic. We're not perfect. I mean, the apostle Peter, he fell. He went away. He left, but he came back. That's a characteristic of a true believer. He, that's there. First John chapter two, verse 24. And then here's my favorite. First John chapter three, verse 14. That's different than what's on your board, but listen to this. True disciples love one another. Jesus said, uh, if you, if you, if you love, if you are one of mine, you'll, you'll love each other. John said that we will know each other by the way we love. That's our characteristic of a true disciple. But there's some people that are not true disciples. They will drop and fall away. It's a fact of ministry. The mark of a false disciple is that they fall away. Number two, the reaction of those that follow the master. I love, I love this passage. It's so, it's so intimate. So after he talked to the big group, the big group wasn't happy. He turned to the twelve, his followers that he had chosen personally. He chose all of those men. We don't know why he chose them. We don't know what was on his mind. Only God would know that. 
We know that he chose one that would one time fail him. Would you choose one that would fail you? But he did. But he gave him a choice. He gave him an opportunity. And then he said in verse 66, from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. And Jesus said to the twelve, okay, guys, y'all don't want to go too, do you? Peter, not known for the grace with words, but always known for an answer. You know, uh, you, you've met those people that just always have an answer. It's not maybe the one you want to hear, not maybe the way you ought to say it, but they just say it. I, I used to know people like that, and you love to have them around you, but when you ask them a question, just get ready because they're going to tell you something, and you may not like it. Peter is that kind of guy. And here's what he said. Lord, to whom will we go? Where where will we go? And I want to tell you, this is a profound statement because Peter is telling us that his character has been changed by Jesus. He is telling us, Lord, we've seen who you are. Where else will we go? Why else would we leave? We understand imperfectly, but we know a little bit about who you are. Where, where would we go? And then Peter goes on and he says, you have the words of eternal life. You see, Jesus' message had fallen to the first group. They just didn't, they just rejected him. The second group that liked the miracles but didn't like the teaching, they were gone. And now to this group, it fell right where it needed to. Peter said, speaking for all of us, boss, you have the words of eternal life. You're, you're exactly what we need. And we know that. We don't know a lot. This is hard. We don't understand it. We're uncomfortable with some of it. But we know, we, we've seen you and we know who you are. Peter is giving us a great affirmation in his faith. And then he says, verse 69, which I really love. He says, we have come to believe and know that you're the Holy One of God. You know, um, this is a process. They weren't all believers like this when they started. They, they stumbled and wondered and they still will have questions and Jesus would still turn to them and they would have the wrong answer and they, they weren't sure. And sometimes Jesus would look at them and say, how, how much longer do I have to put up with you guys like this? But he said here, we, we have come to know. We, we've come to know by walking with you and seeing how you treat people and seeing the power that you have over illness. And we saw you turn those jugs of water into the best wine that anybody had drunk. We saw you feed 5,000 people with a few fishes and a few loaves of bread. I mean, that's absolutely phenomenal. We've seen you heal people that were sick and paralyzed. A man that had been by the well at Bethsaida for 40 years and he just walked away after you laid your hands on him. We know who you are. We have an idea. We've come to see that. Church, that is discipleship. When over time you come to know who Christ is, that you're convinced beyond any doubt that he is who he says he is. You're not convinced every day. You're not convinced perfectly. You're not perfect, but you know. You've come to know over time, over 
over studying the word, over prayer, over experience. You've come to know who he is. That's a powerful word. So where will we go, Lord? We know who you are. You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know you're the one of God. And then Jesus said, kind of a compliment, he said, didn't I choose you guys? Didn't I choose you? But then Jesus in his characteristics, he says, yet one of you is a devil. I chose 12 of you, but one of you is still going to fall out. They don't know who that is yet. Because they're still not wondering about themselves because they know in their hearts they're not perfect. They're not the kind of people they need to be. But Jesus is saying, I, I chose you, but I, one of, one of you is going to fall out. And of course, John tells us he's referencing Judas. And of course, Judas would fall out. Powerful lesson. So that's kind of what I want to tell you about that passage. But I want to close with something. Because I want you to know, I, I want you to see, and the thing that I struggle with, and, and I imagine you struggle with, is what is, what is real faith? What is, what is the kind of faith that you come to know? Faith that we believe over time. That we accept him at first by faith, and now we come to make him part of ourselves. that we'll go and do anything for him. What is that? What is that difference? We live kind of in an age of skepticism. Everybody's skeptical of everything. You're supposed to be skeptical. When you go to college, they're going to teach you to be skeptical. They're, they're going to tell you that you gotta, you gotta, well, I remember, I remember a philosophy class in college. Never should have taken philosophy in my first year of college, but I did. But I remember the professor, he wasn't even a professor, but he was a student teacher. And he said, you should not believe anything that you know from this point. I thought, what? Nothing? I mean, like nothing? He said, you should not accept anything that you've ever heard. And then, of course, he began a systematic way of trying to dismantle all of the thinking that we had done. And of course that teaches you to think and it teaches you to learn and, and hopefully you're grounded enough. So, so, so our goal that when you leave this church and you go to those classes and you sit before them that you've grown in the faith and you've sat in the word and you know what God says and you hear all of that and you say, yeah, I got you. I, I understand you, but I know this is truth. You don't, we're not going there, but we do live in an age of skepticism. We can still stand. Beside Peter, you know, one day Peter would be the greatest apostle and would say, Jesus is the rock on, uh, you know, he's, he's the one. And uh, uh, Christ said to him, you're the rock. I'll build my whole church on faith like this. And then one day he would be denying him in front of everybody. So Peter's kind of like we are. Does your faith have to be unwavering all the time? Can we have any doubt? But I want to tell you, church, that your doubt doesn't mean that you don't believe. There's really two kinds of unbelief. There's a good kind of unbelief that we have, all of us, sometimes. Unbelief like Thomas had. Thomas believed. He he would say, I'm not going to believe that Jesus was crucified unless I could see the nails in his hands or his feet. And so Jesus walked over to him and showed them to him. How's this for you? And Thomas said, okay, I believe I got it. And from then on, he was a believer. He had it. So he, he was presented with the evidence and he had it. 
But there are some people that you can present the evidence to them. You can share the word of God. You can show them what Jesus said. You can teach them what he did. And they will never believe. They will never get there. They just won't do it. They they will not accept it. Now, there are people who say, you know, and I, I've used this class, this example with my Sunday school class this morning. There's people that have faith like this. They say, you know what? I don't believe in Jesus. But if he were to come down and tomorrow make me really rich and really handsome, then I'll believe in him. <laughs> and then tomorrow morning, they're not any richer. They're not any more handsome. And they say, ha, ah, see there? You see, there are some people that they will never believe regardless of the evidence. They will never believe regardless of what they hear. They, they don't have any element of faith. So you have to come to Christ by faith. You, you come to him by faith. You come to him and accept his word by faith. And then you begin to grow in him. You begin to learn about him. You begin to talk with him and pray with him and study him in the word. You begin to grow in him around other Christians. You get around other people. And then over time, you come to say what Peter did. We have come to believe and know that you're the Holy One of God. That's faith. And that's saving faith. And that's faith that endures. It's not perfect. You're going to have your days. You're going to get up and say, you know, that stuff's too hard for me. I can't buy it. But I'm going to go back to what I believe. I'm going to go back to my faith. I'm going to go back to what the Bible says. I'm going to accept this on faith. And I'm... And I'm going to let God teach me and let God instruct me and let God inspire me. And I, and what I found in my life is that often the times of doubt in my life have ended up a time of spiritual growth that I've, that I've learned and grown and challenged. I, I read a little book this week. I, I'm sorry to tell you that I collect books about dying. I do, because I always am looking for, what, what do people say about death and about sickness and illness? What, is, what does the Bible say about it? I'm always, always doing this. Uh, Urban Lutzer just published a little book. He just retired from the Moody Church. Here's, here's the piece of real faith. Here's what real faith in the end looks like. This is where we all want to be. Tom Condren, Dr. Lutzer writes, was a seminary classmate of his. A pastor over 40 years. He was diagnosed with cancer several years ago. His cancer was not treatable. A few weeks before he died, he called Dr. Lutzer on the phone and they began to have a conversation. And Dr. Lutzer began to take notes because he thought this is going to be good. I don't want to forget this. To take notes of the last conversation he would have with his friend. In a labored whisper... Tom Condren said, these are good days. Nothing has taken away my peace and joy. When I found out that I had cancer, I feared I could not live out the sermons that I preached. But God has not allowed me to waver. The finish line is in sight. Goodbye, Irwin. I will see you in heaven. That is faith. That endures to the end. That is faith that we have not at the beginning, but that we come to have after time with God, about his word, in his prayer, in experience, in fellowship. 
That's why it's so vital that we be connected together, that we be bound together, that you be committed to the word. God has given you his word. He has given you his instruction. He has filled you with his spirit. He has given you all the tools that you need, all the tools that I need. So that at the end of the day that we come to believe and know that Jesus is the Holy One of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Let it speak clearly to us today. We thank you that your spirit does illuminate this. Lord, I pray that if there is one that doubts, that you will fill them with faith and lead them to respond. God, I pray that you will draw us all closer to you. That all of us will be on the journey to come to know that you are indeed who you say you are. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your presence among us. Move us today as you see fit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.